Welcome to Talking Shop, Herbert Smith Freehill's podcast series exploring issues relevant to consumer sector companies. I'm Patrick Gay, a partner from the Competition Regulation and Trade Team here in Sydney, and I'm joined by my colleague Sarah Bimbo, who's also a partner in the CRT team uh, in Melbourne uh, and has a keen interest in consumer sector clients. Thanks, Patrick. It's great to be back. So this is the second of our uh, sessions dealing with the overlay between uh, ESG issues and competition law. Last time, Sarah and I discussed enforcement issues and principally enforcement issues around greenwashing claims. Now, clearly the background or the reason behind enforcement in greenwashing claims is that there is a clear competitive advantage or potential competitive advantage for companies to be environmentally conscious or have broader ESG goals. And the concern there was that the ACCC wants to encourage people to act in a particular way and encourage companies to uh, promote their ESG objectives, to promote their ESG bona fides on packaging and so forth. But clearly, those claims cannot be misleading or deceptive. That both hurts consumers and potentially hurts the competitive process. Today, we're going to change tack a little bit and talk about situations where competition in itself may not deliver the appropriate ESG outlines. So today, we're going to talk about collaboration between uh, companies in circumstances where there might be said to be a market failure or more broadly, just circumstances where there are benefits to companies working together. Now, that clearly could raise some competition law concerns. So perhaps, Sarah, over to you to talk briefly about the ACCC's approach to this issue and what's been happening in respect of collaborations between competitors. Thanks, Patrick. Um, We are seeing increasingly, both in Australia and overseas, companies who might otherwise compete with one another coming together to try and further ESG goals. So working together to come up with more sustainable production processes for industries, or to commit to particular goals to try and reduce environmental impacts or to achieve other social goals. Now, those sorts of aims are not necessarily anti-competitive and can have great outcomes in terms of public benefits and efficiencies. And that's definitely recognised by governments and regulators. But equally, it is important to ensure that by coming together, companies that might otherwise compete aren't doing so in a way which would inadvertently result in any material lessening of competition between them or otherwise result in a technical contravention of competition laws. So the main things to think about in Australia, and Patrick will talk a little bit more in a minute about overseas considerations, but they're they're largely similar, are that the Australian competition laws prohibit companies that would compete from coming together and engaging in cartel conduct. And that is coming together to reach an agreement around the price at which goods or services are supplied or inputs are acquired, or to divide up who they're supplying or acquiring to or from, or reach any sort of agreement which restricts what they supply or acquire. And often, as you can as you can probably see, that sort of prohibition comes quite close to some of the aims of collaboration around ESG goals. For example, companies might come together and decide to commit to only acquiring inputs from certain sustainable sources, 
or they might agree to put in place certain charges for less sustainable packaging, which shows you that that can easily come within technical competition law prohibitions such as the prohibition on cartel conduct. Competition law also generally has a prohibition against arrangements and understandings that would have the effect of substantially lessening competition in the market. So not just the purpose of doing it, but also looking at what is the competitive effect of us coming together um, to work together on these ESG aims. Is it likely to have an inadvertent um, impact on how we compete and competition in the market? Equally, information sharing, certain types of information sharing can result in competition law contraventions both in Australia and overseas if companies are sharing competitively sensitive information as part of their ESG collaboration. So the consequences for this are pretty serious if you get it wrong. In Australia, cartel conduct carries potentially criminal penalties and very significant civil financial penalties, including up to $50 million per contravention or even 30% of group turnover for the period in which the contravention has happened. And we are seeing increasingly a lot of our clients really thinking about whether or not the collaboration that they're proposing to engage in or the commitments that they're proposing to make on an industry-wide basis would give rise to competition law concerns. It's also important because this is a real focus, not just of the ACCC in Australia, but also of regulators worldwide. It is a specific enforcement priority in Australia for the ACCC. And the ACCC has foreshadowed that they do intend to release some guidance on collaboration in respective ESG arrangements, following on from the guidance they've recently released in relation to greenwashing, which we discussed on our last Talking Shop episode. So Patrick, did you want to talk a bit around some of the options for managing potential risks and also some of what we're seeing overseas in terms of the approach and the guidance there? Uh, certainly. So, so Australia has a, a pre-existing uh, format where you can seek authorization for a wide range of conduct, and that authorization requires you to demonstrate that the public benefits associated with any particular conduct um, outweigh the detriments associated with the with the collaboration. Now, most of the time, we're to, or the conduct in general, most of the time when we're talking about public detriment, you're looking at the anti-competitive effect. So essentially, it's a balancing exercise where a party seeks to demonstrate to the ACCC that notwithstanding any potential anti-competitive effect or any anti-competitive conduct, the benefits of the conduct uh, the public benefits of the conduct outweigh that anti-competitive uh, effect. Now, in order for you, when you're looking at any sort of form of collaboration, as Sarah pointed out, you first need to think, well, is there in fact a need for uh, authorization? Uh, in, in many circumstances where you're just sort of discussing potentially best practices, et cetera, uh, exchanging forms of information which are not necessarily competitively sensitive, um, you may decide that you don't need authorization. But the good thing about authorization is it provides uh, specific comfort uh, to parties. So where a conduct is authorized, uh, it will receive official, officially receive uh, immunity from relevant provisions of the ACCC. So there is a, a strong incentive, uh, even in circumstances perhaps where it might be a line bone call as to whether or not uh, um, 
authorization is needed for parties to go to the ACCC and engage in that particular process. Now, authorization is a public process. You need to make a submission. That submission is then subject to uh, public inquiries. Uh, other people can write in and say whether or not they agree with your uh, decision or not. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the ACCC uh, will need to make a decision as to whether or not to authorize the conduct. So, so one thing which we'll, we'll be looking forward to in the uh, ACCC's guidelines is, is how that they will consider uh, issues around the public benefits associated with ESG goods, the extent to which things need to be quantified. There will always be uh, an, an element of proof in these things. It doesn't need to necessarily be um, you know, this is the exact data and so forth. But the more that things can be quantified, the more likely it is that the ACCC will accept that there are public benefits associated with the conduct. So we expect to see uh, authorization applications going forward on this basis in the in the ESG uh, realm. Uh, and the ACCC is aware of that, wants to work quickly and wants to, and is sort of consciously saying, you know, that they will work with the parties uh, in both looking at the submissions and draft, if that's what the parties want to do, uh, but also, you know, will kind of work efficiently and effectively uh, to consider these matters, you know, recognizing that uh, the ACCC is concerned about competition, but recognizes that there are circumstances where uh, an ESG um, goal may overcome any anti-competitive concerns and also where those where the anti-competitive concern arises because of the per se nature or the strict liability of certain competition law offenses in Australia, where in fact there may be relatively limited actual uh, anti-competitive harm. And Patrick, we've already seen some examples of um, companies coming together already and seeking authorization in this space. An example that many people will be familiar with are the, super, are the supermarkets coming together, the major supermarkets. Um, and obtaining ACCC authorization to work together following the collapse of the soft plastics recycling scheme. That is an example where the companies did come together and obtain authorization so they could work closely together to try and find a recycling solution to replace that uh, collapse scheme. But Patrick, it's not always the case that all ESG collaboration, including between competitors, will necessarily need to go in and obtain formal approval from the ACCC. We also have the ability for companies to self-assess whether they come within Australia's joint activity exception. That, that's right. So there is a provision in the Competition and Consumer Act, which essentially acts as a form of exception when you've got uh, joint venture or legitimate joint activity. So the issue here is, is there a uh, uh, an activity in trade or commerce? Uh, does is the, whatever the restraint is, what might be otherwise said to be an anti-competitive restraint, uh, is it for the purpose of and reasonably necessary uh, to facilitate that joint activity and does the joint activity uh, the purpose of the joint activity must not be uh, for a purpose of substantially lessening competition in a relevant market so you can certainly uh, understand or expect to see that there might be collaborations which might be said to be joint ventures between uh, competitors uh, which uh, can be which can rely on that joint venture joint activity exception and will not require authorization now now one benefit with authorization as we pointed out is there there is no uncertainty uh, you know so if you make the authorization application well then you can be certain that you've received immunity 
of course, if you're acting on the basis of the joint venture exception, joint activity exception, you're proceeding on the basis of advice. Uh, in many times, in many circumstances, parties should be comfortable in doing that. And indeed, as he said before, there may be circumstances where some form of collaboration or some form of exchange of ideas, et cetera, uh, will not require, will not give rise to any per se uh, competition law issues and not give rise to any arguments that there could be a an effect or likely effect of substantially lessening competition. Uh, and therefore, uh, parties might just proceed on the basis of you know, what we're doing here and the nature of the collaboration doesn't give rise to any um, competition law concern. And the ACCC's guidance, which they have foreshadowed, as I mentioned, should also help companies who are thinking about whether they need authorization assess whether or not that's really required or whether or not the activity that they're engaging in is likely to be something that will not raise ACCC concerns or would fit well within the joint activity exception. I think that's right. I, th I think the uh, my understanding is the ACCC wants to be helpful in this space. Obviously, they want to ensure that uh, core competition uh, principles are maintained and want to recognize the benefits of competition, uh, but they don't want to be an unnecessary break on uh, people thinking about collaborations and pursuing ESG goals. And Patrick, we have a bit of a sense of what the ACCC might include in their guidance or consider including from some of the guidance that's been released overseas already? That That's right, Sarah. Now, obviously the law is different and the kind of application uh, of the principles may be different depending on the law. The, the types of things which have been considered by both the European Commission and the UK CMA involve things like, as such as the following. Agreements aimed exclusively at ensuring compliance with requirements in legally binding international treaties, agreements or covenants, agreements that do not concern competitors' economic activity, but rather their internal corporate conduct, agreements for the creation of databases detailing general information on sustainable suppliers or inputs, provided the parties are not required to purchase from them, agreements relating to the organization of industry-wide awareness campaigns, provided that they don't amount to joint advertising of specific products. So those are the types of things which the European Commission has said do not at the base raise competition law issues. The UK has mentioned things such as agreements which do not affect the main parameters of competition, i.e. price, quantity, quality, choice, or innovation, agreements to do something jointly which the parties cannot in do individually, uh, for example, due to lack of technical capabilities. So that could be something which would be within the joint venture exception uh, within Australia. Collaboration to develop industry standards or codes, industry-wide efforts to tackle climate change. So those are all relatively broad things uh, which both the UK and the European Commission um, are saying are the types of things which competition law shouldn't prohibit. You know, but obviously where a company is thinking about any specific proposal, it will need to get advice in Australia as to what is the best way forward. So those are the types of things which should be permitted under the competition law. But the question is, how do you navigate uh, the specific uh, requirements of Australian competition law to get that uh, uh, to get that result? That's right, Patrick. And I think it'll be interesting to see where the HCC comes out in its guidance. The UK guidance is certainly regarded as being um, quite permissive and and possibly a bit more permissive than the European Commission guidance in line with the UK's very um, bullish objectives to reduce emissions more broadly. But 
notwithstanding the guidance that there are a lot of situations identified where competition law should not stand in the way of collaboration, we are seeing uh, regulators both in the UK, Europe and in the US investigating arrangements between companies that are designed to promote uh, ESG objectives uh, in terms of having competition law concerns about them. So, yes, there is guidance there and the uh, certainly the regulators are not intending to stop ESG progress. But as Patrick mentioned, the details of any particular arrangement still need to be considered because it is possible that competition law um, issues could still arise. So we are seeing this as a global issue and different things will come up globally, but a lot of our clients also need to consider these issues globally and we're helping them with that. Um, one interesting thing that has happened in Australia recently, following on from Patrick's discussion around authorisation, is that we have had for the first time a merger authorisation, very high profile, where environmental benefits were accepted by the ACCC as public benefits and were used as a basis for clearing a merger that the ACCC said might otherwise have resulted in some lessening of competition. Patrick, did you want to give our listeners a quick overview of that to round out our discussion today? Yeah, certainly, Sarah. It is an interesting matter, and I think it just we need to be clear that uh, it's not the case that every merger in Australia, when it's being cleared by the ACCC, considers public benefits. But as we spoke about before, uh, there is a form of the authorization process which applies to uh, mergers. And in this particular instance, the merger involved Brookfield's acquisition of Origin Energy. One of the key propositions or a, a proposition put forward was that the merger would provide specific environmental benefits. Uh, and so what was ultimately accepted by the ACCC that Brookfield would make significant investment into uh, uh, into uh, renewable generation and storage projects uh, was proposed that they would invest about 20 to 30 billion uh, and that this would result in about 14 gigawatts of renewable generation and storage projects, which would be approximately 10 gigawatts more than Origin would likely invest over the same period. Uh, what, what was interesting, I think, as, as well, not only did the ACCC accept this uh, as, a, as a key basis for allowing the merger to proceed, but it wasn't the case that there was any um, contractual requirements or uh, you know, legal documents that had already been signed by Brookfield to show that this was necessarily uh, going to happen. The ACCC ultimately accepted that even where there were no binding commitments uh, to uh, make these investments, that there was a, a clear economic incentive, clear reputational incentives to follow through, and that the undertaking, which um, would provide some element of reporting, would also make it more likely for these things to uh, take place. So I think, you know, going forward, um, there will always be an issue of specificity and proof uh, when you're making a, a particular claim around an environmental or an ESG benefit. But what was interesting in this matter was that the ACCC accepted that there was an economic logic uh, to making those investments and where that economic logic, including reputational elements of the economic logic, were sufficient, uh, the ACCC was prepared to accept that those benefits would occur even in the absence of any particular legal commitment to make those investments. 
Thanks, Patrick. Definitely interesting that uh, measure for a number of reasons, including for competition lawyers, that particular element. I think that brings us to the end of our discussion today. Um, our key message is watch this space. We expect there to be uh, certainly an increasing ACCC focus on collaboration between competitors for ESG aims as we see more of it. And we know the ACCC is very focused on activities relating to um, ESG generally, but also energy transition. So definitely one to watch. And to round us out today, Pat, I understand you have a fun fact. I sure do. Apparently crocodiles can't stick their tongue out. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure that environmental efforts are going to assist with that. Thanks to everyone for listening today. Obviously, feel free to give either Patrick Gay or myself a call if you want to talk about any of the matters we've discussed today. Thank you.